Hello everyone and welcome to the Coffee with Recruiter podcast. I'm your host Jose and we're continuing with our people focus of this quarter with our guest Monica Cesarek, the people and culture manager of Patchwork. Monica has seen talent acquisition from all angles. She's been an agency recruiter, she's then moved in-house and is skilled in all things people, strategy and culture. What's it like being a people and culture manager? What qualifications do you need? What are the best and toughest aspects of being a people person? We'll discuss this and much more on the Coffee with Recruiter podcast. Okay, recording now. Let's see. Hello, Monica. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, very good. Did you have a good weekend? Hopefully you had a chance to enjoy the uh, the weather that we that we had. I know it actually felt like summer for the first time, um, I guess, kind of this year, which, yeah, really, really lovely. Very nice weather. Yeah, it also, it almost felt like T-shirt weather, like I could just go out in a, in a T-shirt. But right now, you know, today it got pretty cloudy pretty fast. So, you know, we only had a, a, a nice little day to, to enjoy. Well, thank you so much for your time, Monica. And I've been really looking forward to... Um, to this discussion because your you know your 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 background is just very interesting i've been really looking forward to speaking with more hr or let's say people experts um and uh, obviously you have a lot of experience in this area so i really wanted to unpack a few very interesting people sort of topics um that might be of interest and uh, and who better to walk me through that than than yourself um, I guess just before diving into the more technical side of things, uh, can you can you give maybe give us a, an, an introduction to yourself and and sort of your your career and, and what you do? Yeah, of course. So, um, well, very start with the obvious. My name is Monica, um, and I'm currently working as a people and culture manager for a company called Patchwork. Um, so they're all about enabling flexible working for the healthcare sector, um, specifically for the NHS. So the last few months have been quite busy. Um, I actually joined them back in November and I'm really enjoying it. It's a, it's a really great company to be working for. Um, and really nice to be working for two founders who are doctors by trade, just because they bring something completely different to the table. But I guess, um, I guess how did I get into a people role? Um, I first started out in financial recruitment and never thought I'd graduate from university and just and fall into into a recruitment type of um, role. Um, and it was it was agency recruitment. And I guess kind of over the years, I've progressed or perhaps I should say transitioned into more of a people strategy focused role. Um, and I guess I've never worked in a role where I've not not dealt with people. And I've learned over the years, I find it really easy just to be able to pick up a conversation with anyone. Um, certainly at my best when I'm being kept busy and people definitely keep you busy. Um, but I guess aside from work, I wish I'd have more to share, but obviously given the current lockdown restrictions, I'm not really getting up to much these days. Although we did have good news today with the, um, with the Boris kind of update. Um, but I guess at the moment, you'll just find me walking my dog. He's a, he's a lockdown puppy. We got him back in May. Um, and you'll just find me surfing the net trying to book holidays that I'm probably still not going to be able to go on just yet. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell. 
Yeah, well, everyone, and including myself, we're all in that dreamy state where we're thinking, okay, if we were able to travel, where will we go? Or if, if travel restrictions get lifted tomorrow, like, where are we at at first, you know? So I could totally relate to, to, to that. Where's um, the first place that you'll travel to? <laughs> are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good question. Um, that's such a good question. Um, well, there are some places I've been wanting to go to. Um, I haven't been to Portugal yet, so that's one one place yeah, I would I've like not to been go. Oh, really? Oh. Um, so there's there's that one. Um, I mean, I've been to Italy before. Would love to go again. I'm thinking mainly like southern countries, like to get away from from the cloudy, cold. Yeah, you know, we all need a London bit of sun now. Definitely. Um, by the way, just scrolling your your profile here, I see you started a little Notion page called All Things People. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so a very kind of, I guess, recent um, document that I've put together, but it's just, it's almost like a live library of just relevant um, content for people strategists that I keep coming across um, in terms of just kind of personal research. So it's just links um, related to any kind of topic in a people capacity. So you can, you can find stuff about onboarding, offboarding, different initiatives um, being introduced for in terms of mental health awareness. Um, just, it's just a few kind of tips and a bit of food for thought. So I always come across things and realize I never really save them anywhere. So just thought, let's save them somewhere and then actually just share it with other people who might, who might benefit from it. So it's work in progress. It's only been live for a couple of days. Um, but obviously just, just keen to be able to kind of share my research with, with other people. Yeah. That's such a good way of, of saving the information you've come across. I mean, I have this bad habit of just bookmarking everything and I'll bookmark mm. it, but then I'll never read it. So I have this, these bookmark pages of like 20 items. And then I'm like, wait, when did I bookmark this? When did I save it? How am I going to read it? So that's such a good way. And, uh, and people don't realize the amount of work it takes to really share content out there. Um, I mean, it's, if you really want to be consistent and do it every week, that's when it sort of produces value, right? But it's pretty much like adding a sixth day or working day to, to your week when you're collecting information, curating it and sharing it with other people. Oh, agreed. I just, I thought using this platform, it's just an easy way. Well, first of all, it's going to keep me accountable um, of actually remembering what I've researched and to be able to go back to, to certain resources. But also it's um, a bit of a two-in-one job. If I find something, let's add it to the Notion page as I go along. It's stored. It's easy for me to kind of go back to to find it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm still getting to grips with Notion. Um, it's, I don't find it the most kind of user-friendly platform to use. But in terms of kind of presenting the information, um, it's quite straightforward. So if anyone has time just to take a look, please do. And one thing I wanted to, to, to ask, and maybe just a little segue question into, into a few other things, but because, so you made the transition from agency to, to um, I believe like a head of, a head of people type or, or people type mm -hmm. role, right? From agency straight into people. Yes. That's a, is, is that an unusual transition? A lot of people, they usually go into first internal, regular sort of recruitment, but you went yeah. into 
into people actually what was the transition like for you you know from that agency environment into in-house it was it in-house people right yeah this is a good question i guess um starting out in agency recruitments you're either in agency recruitments throughout your career or you do kind of get to this progression where you think maybe we transition into an internal recruitment role and there's this kind of stigma working in agency recruitment where it's oh if you move into an in-house position or if you move in into an internal recruitment role that means you're a failed agency recruiter which is actually quite harsh um I guess what I kind of found working in agency recruitment is that my strengths were the 180 side of recruitment which was the sourcing candidates um I guess kind of getting that debrief from hiring managers meeting with candidates directly and in order to be able to kind of do more of that rather than your business development and your cold calling the natural progression was to kind of move into an in-house role so I mean, back then, trying to get a, back then, I sound really old now, um, trying to kind of progress into an in-house role. And when I say in-house, to me, that's basically working for a company that's not a recruitment agency. And I really struggled with that transition. So I kind of met, met the role halfway and joined another recruitment agency, but as their in-house recruiter. So bear with me for this one but at some point um i was recruiting recruiters for a recruitment agency yeah that's a rectorac almost essentially yeah so (laughs) and again got more more flavor for the role and loved more so working having that kind of i guess frontline experience working directly with people and again just kind of kept pushing myself to eventually get out of recruitment um, and make the transition into in-house so basically just finding any sector that was not in recruitment um, and and it paid off but it's a it's definitely a complete different environment um, I'm not sure how kind of familiar you are um, with recruitment agencies as such but it is a certain type of culture and um, certain type of people that work w- within the recruitment industry and I guess when I moved into when I moved outside of recruitment, it was really refreshing to just work with people who weren't kind of, I guess, 24 seven sales orientated and hitting targets and working towards KPIs. It was really nice to kind of have that exposure working with teams that had more, I guess, more kind of um, a commercial aspect. So all of a sudden I was working with marketing teams and strategy teams or production teams, which was really cool um i can i can never see myself returning back to, to a recruitment agency now no same here i mean i also i was also in an agency before uh going in house and i actually started in um in like an executive search team mm. um and then i went into like a digital very standard sort of digital agency doing mid-level sort of tech roles and then at some point i realized on the one hand, I'm not good at the business development side of things and things like getting new, new, um, well, new, new clients, right? Mm. And on the other hand, I thought to myself, you know what? Um, you kind of have to do a lot of, sometimes not always, but you sometimes have to do certain things that are slightly morally dubious. Um, yep. 
things like <laughs> oh you know yeah 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 you you when you try to pitch in a candidate and uh, or you try to, you try to get a higher fee or you need to negotiate or you know you need to you know you you need to play the game right and it's a very it's a it's a game where it's like you know what do i do i want to continue my career in this direction and uh, or do i want to be able to sleep at night right and exactly and just, <laughs> it's quite so, it was yeah. quite exhausting and um you know, I'm, I won't reveal all the secrets of the recruitment trade because obviously there are some people who are very successful and um, have made a very successful career out of working in recruitment agency. But yeah, there's there's lots of things, I guess, that aren't necessarily shared with you in your first interview. We'll, we'll put it that way. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now you're, um, I mean, you're a, you're a people person or that's such an interesting way of putting it, a people person. <laughs> I've heard that's also a job title. Like I know a colleague oh, that wow. has a job title people person. So that's that's interesting cool to say. Yeah. Well, so keen to know sort of what are the basics of being a a, a people or head of people or a people and culture manager? Um, and how does that differ from the other job title, right? Like HR manager or HR director, yeah. you know, like sometimes we confuse those two. Like, well, how what well, what's the people role? in itself and how does it differ from HR or what people call HR? Do you know what, like even just hearing the word HR now, I just, I'm sitting here thinking, oh God, um, you know, obviously no disrespect to anyone, anyone who works in HR, it's a very important job um, for any business, but there's just something about hearing the word HR, and HR's not really a word, right? It's human resources, but it really bothers me. Um, I just find it, it's quite, outdated and quite simply by its definition it just implies that people are resources they're like machines and capital um, and these resources for example just happen to be human and I think historically the HR stereotype is that this function is just designed for hiring and firing getting payments and rewards information enforcing the rules and policies and it kind of gives human resources the impression that people are resources to be harvested simply for a tool for production. You know, it just, it just sounds um, like there's no kind of, um, you, can't, you almost can't relate to it as if employees are expendable and just kind of another worker in, in a long line of cogs. Um, on a company conveyor belt. And I know that sounds very, very blunt, um, but I think, a lot of businesses neglected to kind of use HR to their advantage and use whoever was in that person or in that role to actually action and execute a people strategy. So even before I started working um, in, in this kind of people role, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of kind of being that person where I always saw HR as quite an isolated role in the business. Oh, someone's leaving. I'll go to HR. I'll this complaint happened I'll go to HR um, it's almost that that's kind of that was the only function and um, that you would associate the role with and I think now there is a clearer shift in perspective in the modern workplace that really focuses more on the employee experience and kind of designing a I guess a new working environment so that people actually want to show up to work and that's not only to be present, but to actually be engaged and feel a sense of ownership and pride in their work. 
And that's kind of the cultural piece, which I think a traditional HR role was never really involved with. And I guess now being, being in this particular, like this particular people manager role, I think in a lot of companies, this type of role, you're seen as being more of an ally for employees in the business with this role you need to be more inclusive and visible and have that trust and respect from employees to act as a voice on their behalf for the wider business rather than kind of I guess being that traditional HR model of coming to my office and let's do things by the book now I do want to say for the record if anyone is listening and they do have that kind of traditional HR title I think the role still works um, for bigger companies. So your FTSEs and your PLCs, because more processes and policies do probably need to be in place for companies of that kind of infrastructure. But I think, I guess with more startups emerging and you have more leaders and companies wanting to bring something completely new and innovative to this kind of specific industry, you can't do that without a role that doesn't focus on people and culture in an in a engaging way, which I think is a really critical component to the success and growth of any company that is flying and building at the same time. Would you say it's maybe comparable to, um, you know, generally for, let's say, for example, in recruitment, um, I don't know if, if, if this is a transition that happened or if it's always sort of been the case, maybe you can clarify this, but, um, you know, when I started in recruitment, everyone called it like, oh, you're a recruiter, you know, you're a, or a recruitment consultant, you know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're more of an agency recruiter, it's always consultants. But slowly we started seeing um, jobs like talent partner. Right. And uh, or talent acquisition was became more of a, a job title or word you started to use. Right. And slowly it was more like, you know, uh, you, you know, recruiters kind of stopped being only sourcers right so people that they what they do is they um they reach out to candidates they interview them and uh and that's about it but recruiters started to become more like well it's 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 tough to say what what exactly a recruiter is nowadays but they started really thinking together with the business together with hiring managers and really playing more of an advisory role when it comes to, okay, you know, how can we improve our reach outs or our funnel, um, you know, or get better quality candidates or what type of candidate does, does the business really need? Uh, or how do we qualify these candidates? Um, or how do we reject candidates or, or onboarding? How does that start to look like? You know, the, the lines start to, to blur in between like just being a, a resourcer versus someone that, uh, does the sourcing bit plus a lot more that originally kind of wasn't in the in the job description would you say that's maybe something similar like you know hr people and and sort of that emergence of people roles that it's become more of a transition into into being less of a hr being less of an administrative or at least i don't mm. know if it's administrative role but but being less administrative and more of a top-down um, role and becoming more of a, um, uh, you know, grassroots 
maximizing sort of internal happiness at companies yeah. to, to improve retention and, and just the overall well-being. Would you say maybe it's, it's that sort of a transition? I think over the years, there's been more of an opportunity where people are seeking, whether they're recruiters, whether they're people partners, talent partners, or even HR professionals, people want to work with other people that they can connect with. And I think by asking these questions where you, you're, you appear more invested within the business in terms of how can I contribute to your strategy? How can I contribute to your growth? I think that's what's kind of put us in a position now where more roles are being designed outside of that kind of traditional HR um, job title, if you like. I think HR just seems very, it just seems very outdated. Um, and I think with that kind of HR role, they always, you always have to be a bit distant in the business. And I think with that kind of mindset, it's really hard to then feel that you've got someone that is as invested in terms of the growth of the company because they're not always visible. And I think over the years, there've just been more roles that have been designed to kind of give that visibility and, and act as a voice for the workforce as well um i'm not sure if that's answered your question but we'll go with it <laughs> yeah yeah it absolutely does now one thing that i wanted to ask you about and um and it, it comes to, to the qualifications that people 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 persons need or hr hr managers or directors kind of need for for the mm. role right and that's um the I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Like, do you call it CIPD qualifications or is there a... Yeah. Yeah, I've always been curious about those qualifications because I've also thought of myself like, oh, you know, as a, as a recruiter, there's kind of two ways you can progress, right? Either you take the lead recruiter or recruitment manager type, type route or you mm-hmm. progress into like, oh, head of people, right? Something along those lines or in, in, a, in more of a people function. Sure. Um, and... Uh, one of the blockers says, for me, it's always been, oh, do I need to get the CIPD qualifications? And what does that entail? I mean, what's, what's, I, I believe you're also qualified in this area, right? So what, what does the qualification entail? And do you really need it? Or is it maybe, you know, is it, is it, is it not incredibly um, essential, let's say, for the role? Really glad you asked this question. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried that my, my opinion I think would divide a few people. Um, I think so. I recently, I'm recently uni qualified um, with CIPD, and I finished my studies back in December. And it probably, if I'm honest, I I was very lazy with completing the um, the coursework and the assignments. I think if anyone is considering to pursue um, this qualification. Um, you don't there's no kind of requirement to have had to have gone to university beforehand but I'd gone to university I've graduated about seven years ago and when I was sitting in this course I just completely forgot how to write essays all over again and reference and do your research and, and everything that comes with it so it takes a while to get to get into it and you know the CIPD is very highly regarded in the world of HR and I think it complements that kind of traditional HR model. But it does look great on paper. But if I'm being really honest, 
I don't think you need it to be an effective people person. I think, so again, a lot of the content and material is quite outdated. So you're dealing with theories and models that were, I guess, kind of, well, they're back from kind of the 60s and 70s, and you have to cite these particular models and, and theorists in your essay to pass which you know you kind of think let's be honest here you wouldn't even think to apply any of those kind of models in a real life people related situation that is just my opinion you almost don't have time to kind of think oh let's think of this model back from the 60s of i'm not even going to show myself up here and actually quote who it is because i'm not going to remember um but it kind of confirms the idea of what we spoke about earlier that people are just resources so let's not use our emotional intelligence and common sense as to how to approach certain situations let's perhaps just write essays on how theories models and textbook answers should be used to resolve issues instead now i know that's probably going to be really controversial um but i would never think to cite the cipd as kind of my primary source of leadership or strategic influence. Now, what I mean by that is there is no denying that it, it does provide a really good foundation, but to be an effective people leader, I think you just have to be open-minded and not see conversations with your workforce as that kind of box ticking exercise and um, to just kind of reflect what you ought to be doing. And I think as well, another thing to kind of consider with the CIPD, it also depends what type of HR you want, you want to pursue um, long-term career-wise. So I do think if you're thinking of um, pursuing learning and development and that kind of area and having that as your area of expertise, then the CIPD that focuses on L&D will be perfect for you because it will actually provide practical examples of how you can apply that in everyday learning. Whilst the course that I studied, which was just kind of generalist human resources, is almost too broad. And again, you know, the CIPD, it does help you be at the top of your game um, in terms of just having that qualification and being recognized. And there are some companies that really, you know, they will not kind of, what am I trying to say? that they won't compromise on not having someone with that CIPD because I think to them it's a case of this is a form of insurance we've got someone who knows their stuff and there is no denying again that this particular qualification it does show a commitment to your own professional development it does provide a solid foundation of HR knowledge it demonstrates your learning ability and of course it's great to have a professionally accredited and benchmark level of kind of your specific achievement and for some future employees it does serve well but what I have noticed is that more companies that are smaller if they, they can be agency focused they can be that kind of startup initial startup size more of them are looking for kind of I guess people managers or head of people's or just people roles but they're not actually um, mentioning that they need or want someone who's CIPD qualified and I think the CIPD qualification it will teach you the foundations but to be an effective people leader you need to actively stay on top of all kind of new regulations and you do that through attending seminars through attending workshops it's your continuous development it's 
making sure ACAS is your best friend and checking all, all of the relevant kind of updates. So I'm sure there's going to be some people listening to this thinking, gosh, she's not citing or referencing the <laughs> CIPD when, she, when she's talking to people. I think it's just good for kind of that basic knowledge, but I really, really don't think you need it to be an effective people leader. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it, I wouldn't call it controversial to to say this. I mean, with a lot of roles, we've seen that the formal roots or educational roots um, in practice isn't always incredibly necessary. So, you know, early on in my career, I was focusing on on recruiting engineers, right? Software engineers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, already back then, it was like, okay, a computer science degree wasn't really incredibly necessary. You know, companies were more than happy to speak with people that graduated from boot camps. Um, and even in some cases, people that were self-taught, right? So I think I would say it might be sort of, there's a, not a, not a huge shift, but still a, a growing um, interest in people that don't take the formal route to educate themselves, but have been proactive, right? In educating themselves and being mm-hmm. autodidactic and looking up the relevant material and, and really focusing not on a degree that's very general, that teaches you a little bit of everything. And it's so broad that you can't really apply it, right? Because it's really too broad to to really encompass your your function and and our functions are rather limited, right? But mm-hmm. people that really focus on the essentials, right? Like, oh, you know, these are the cases or the situations that appear day to day for the most part in my job. Um, so I'm going to focus on learning these components that I can learn through through other books or other online courses. Um, I guess just just a just a quick. Um, just a quick tip. I think your microphone is maybe rubbing against your your shirt or anything like that, oh, Monica. Gosh, Just sorry. Sure. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll hold it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, not not a huge struggle. Just a just a just a quick tip, and I can just you know uh, edit this cool. out and everything, so it's fine. But yeah, I guess just coming back to the CIPD uh, qualifications and the roles that arise from it. Um, and this is maybe a little segue, but we've also seen over the last maybe year or two. Um, closely related to this, you know, there was first the HR director or HR manager role. Then it was people, head of people or people, um, uh, people in culture. But I think there's also been a little growth of like diversity and inclusion officer, like the more diversity or strictly diversity uh, oriented roles, right? Mm. There have and. I've noticed there's quite a debate about whether diversity and inclusion role should actually be part of an HR function. Mm. Oh, I can't believe I said HR. Um, <laughs> part of a, a people function because the whole point of having a DNI, um, I guess, kind of strategist in the business is that that role should be there independent of any kind of people focused role or HR role. Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, I don't have the best kind of area of expertise to really kind of, um, I guess, bring bring a discussion to the table. But I think sure, it's sure. definitely key for, for each company to, to really invest invest in that type of role. I think, and, and, and I guess diversity and inclusion, it does cover a host of other topics which we might not necessarily think of, like our well-being as well. And, you know, given the current lockdown situation and how the whole 
how everyone's workforce has dramatically changed over, over the past year, that is a bit of a joint effort in terms of having your people teams, your HR teams and your diversity and inclusion teams in, in really kind of putting together a strategy to, to help with the well-being aspect, for example. But I guess in terms of whether it's key to, it's, it's definitely key to a people function, but I wouldn't necessarily say it should fall under that same department. I've probably gone back on myself there a little bit. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely a role that more companies are investing in uh, and making a priority. It is, of course, just a real shame as to how this role has, you know, been given more of a limelight, um, especially kind of the past year with, with all recent events. But I guess it's better better late than never. Yeah, hundred percent. It's such a you know being a people person. It's such a it's such a tricky role because there's that human element, right? You're not dealing with programming or with non, you know, with, with things you're dealing with people, right? And people like ourselves that have emotions and ambitions and grievances. So I can imagine it's a very emotional, um, I don't know, or I don't know if emotional, but it requires a lot of empathy and an understanding mm. of, of people, right? What would you say have been, you know, in, in your career as a, as a head of people or, um, you know, people and culture manager, what have been sort of the, the highs, the, the, the great moments and, and the lows, you know, the tricky, um, you know, tough moments. How would you describe that? Yeah, good question. I think um, what I guess one of the highs is just seeing firsthand how, how people grow and develop within the business. And it's always just that little bit sweeter when you've actually hired that person um, as well. So I've always said onboarding starts as soon as you first interview someone, because at that first stage interview, if that person gets the job, you've already kind of built that relationship, relationship with them and they already have expectations as to what happens next. And it's really rewarding to see that same person years later um, still with the with the business and performing well and it's a really wholesome thing to see and just kind of had that feeling of thinking I was part of that I found that CV on a job board I found that profile through headhunting um, oh, yeah, and let just me, to let kind me just, of see the hard work pay off let me just comment on that it's just the best moment when you you headhunt someone you hired them and then uh, you know they progress they they get that you know they progress mm. in you know in their role or you know the hiring manager you know drops by and it's like oh that person my god what a rock star you know they're doing so well you know like they they tell you how good the the, the new hire is and you're like yeah boy you know i, I yeah I it's just cool I that, you know <laughs> I, I was there you know when it happened you know like i, I contributed you know there's um a company I worked for back in 2016, I, um, I helped kind of hire their tech recruitment um, team. And the three guys that I, I think hired back in 2016 are all still there in the same team, um, which is just, it's just, yeah, it's just really cool. It's just nice. It's a nice feeling. And um, another, another, I guess, kind of area which, um, I take a lot of pride in as well is being able to focus on the culture of the business and kind of be in that position to design new initiatives that 
are really inclusive and kind of foster that healthy work-life balance for people. Um, you know, ultimately, not everyone wants to be glued to their desks and laptops and even houses at the moment. So it's nice to kind of be in a position to be a bit creative and think, OK, you know, I'm not dealing with any onboard onboarding or um, well-being initiatives. Or well, actually, a lot of this probably does benefit the, the well-being side. But it's just it's just an opportunity opportunity to kind of come up with fun ideas um, invite other people in the business to also contribute to that as well so that they feel part of the the growth um, and it just gives everyone including me a bit of respite as well um, which is quite nice and it's actually really fun just researching what other companies have introduced to the business we did a cooking workshop actually um, last week which was really cool a really good company called um, The Cookaway so everyone gets sent a like it's similar to HelloFresh, so everyone kind of receives all the all the ingredients um i guess kind of fairly size okay we need to edit this bit um what am i trying to say is it like they a, receive... like a like one of those meals you know like a put together meal with all the ingredients or something yeah like so you receive all the ingredients that's the one you receive all of the ingredients and they're already measured out so you're just ready to cook straight away but we had a really cool chef who it was like it was just a live cook-along and she taught us all about Indian cuisine and the stories behind the ingredients um, and it just went down a treat everyone absolutely loved it so it was it was nice just to be able to kind of put something like that together which was pretty cool just just out of curiosity how much of your time is spent like looking up cool things fun <laughs> things to 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 do like uh you know like activities or um you know cooking or like fun fun sort of team building culture sort of events and and implementing them well this is why i've created my notion page <laughs> just to try to group um everything together i think every day some new idea pops up and you know, it's obviously a case of checking in with the CEO to make sure we've got sign off to be able to do things like this. But I guess I'm lucky to be able to work for a business at the moment where they're just very flexible and just say, look, bring the idea to the table. If it's good, let's do it. So between me and I've got a really um, great girl on my team um, who's really good for just kind of, you know, also helping doing, doing this research. Um, we just, I'd say every, every day. I'll probably spend a good 10 minutes just just taking a quick look but it's also just kind of keeping an eye out to see what other companies are doing um, and you just happen to come across stuff on your socials and you think oh that's really cool so um next month we're doing so we've introduced this thing called culture club so once a month we kind of deliver a workshop or a presentation um, which kind of promotes that diversity and inclusion and that's what the cooking workshop actually was for this month the previous month we did one on um, the idea of burnout and next month we are doing a presentation about neurodiversity and it's it will be led by one of our one of our own folks um, which is really cool so yeah I'm just, I'm just keen to just try to keep finding new and different things to keep um, introducing to the business yeah, so that's sort of starting to grow on me. Like I'll see a really cool initiative of another company and I'm starting to think, oh, we should totally steal that. Like that yeah, seems like it. such a good idea. You can steal my culture, but <laughs> it's fine. Oh, 100%, 100%. Like I'm, I'm already sort of thinking about that. Um, and well, you know, that's, that's the fun bit. But 
Um, what would you say have been the the tough challenges? I mean, yeah. at least for me, like as a as a recruiter, and I'm I'm sure maybe this happens as a, as a people person also, but at least in recruitment, there's that element of rejection, like day in day out. Either you know the candidate rejects your reach out, or when you phone screen them, they reject the opportunity, or you have to reject them, or during the interview mm. they get rejected. It's just a lot of you know you have to have a thick skin right because there, there's just a lot of rejection you know out there <laughs> oh gosh i the worst you know one of the worst things i guess about being in any type of people recruitment or hr role is that even though you try to approach things objectively and fairly sometimes you do buy into people even in an interview process and there is nothing worse than when you get to a final stage and you know line managers and people involved in the interview process are fed back that that person hasn't got the job and you just think oh i really don't want to deliver this news but you, you just have to um and i i guess it kind of goes to the point that um even in in this kind of people capacity you still have to be a little bit isolated i think so i guess um I'll take a step back. One area which I think is a little bit difficult to kind of see um, working in a, in a people role is that when you do see people underperforming and you think, oh gosh, what could I have done before we, this employee got to the point? Um, and a big part of any people role is that you are collectively working as a team and relying on your line managers and the senior leadership team or the management team to also be doing their due diligence. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that you're here as that kind of people person to provide all the tools to help everyone individually succeed. Um, but you're also kind of hoping that line managers and the leadership team are also, I guess, kind of mirroring that with their team and their employees so that if an employee is, un is underperforming, everything has kind of been done possible before we get to a point of thinking, do we need to introduce a PIP? You know, are, are we at kind of a final resort here in, ter in terms of performance? And I think for a lot of companies, you, you, there tends to not be a huge people team, but there'll be a huge team just for kind of one division like engineering or marketing. So I think as well, it's, you're kind of, it's not a burden as such, but you do feel that you kind of have to be the source of all knowledge for absolutely everyone. And it's making sure that, you know, you you trust um, the rest of kind of your, the people in the business who are in the right places to help with other people's development to make sure that we're always avoiding that pit where we can. Um, and I, th I think that's, it's, it's a struggle in terms of kind of getting that balance right because you don't want to appear as micromanaging or think or insinuating that you're not confident in people's ability to kind of do their job as in a line management perspective. Um, but it's just, it's just making sure that you, you can have that visibility and still be visible. And I think as well, with, with, with that in mind, um, you always have to be objective and fair in your approach. I don't think, I think you have to be really careful in that you don't bring any bias um, to the role, which again, it kind of goes back to that point that to some extent you kind of do have to be a bit isolated in, in the business and you know not be too pally with people and set those boundaries because you need to be in a position to be able to 
assess situations fairly without any judgment and bias and that and that can be hard to do as well because we're only human we will have our own opinions and this is when that traditional hr model does help because you have to wear the hr hat to to kind of get the job done um in some situations not in all situations but yeah i'd say a bit of that kind of um the isolation piece is, is a big part well yeah you mentioned or 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 roughly speaking you implied also that um you know you kind of need to be independent you need to be almost unbiased right as a people person you need to um, at least this is how I would see it, but you need to be able to treat everyone the same and fairly, right? And yeah, um, and not like give preferential treatment or give the idea that you might be giving preferential treatment to, to some groups or others. You really need to be, you know, just 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 independent. But that also brings a burden. And I've seen it as as the only recruiter as in in my company, right? That uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know if if lonely is the right word, but um, What's a good way of putting it? You, I mean, it helps if you have a team of like-minded individuals, right? Like you have people mm. that think similarly to you and they understand the suggestions or comments or ideas that you bring forward. Whereas um, if you're the only HR or people person or recruiter, you need to really almost, what's a good way of putting it? it a lot of it is stakeholder management and convincing others that that other people or other stakeholders that are not recruiters um, that you might have an approach that might work right and it's almost like speaking in their language and trying to put it in their terms um, in order to to have things move around right so I can appreciate that something that happens in or might happen in your role because you're you're trying to implement things but it's it's not you necessarily always implementing them it's like you communicating to to hiring managers or stakeholders or team leads um, that hey, you know, there's this approach we wanna we wanna implement. Um, what do you think? And you know, in your own time, can you also implement it, please? Something along those lines, right? Yeah, like it, I cannot execute the people strategy alone. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, it's, it's it's impossible, and you have to rely on other people in the business to help achieve that. And that's not even just your line managers it's people who've been in the business for a week it's your future employees as well um and it is that kind of collective goal so yeah it's, it's just making sure that obviously you've got the right people in the right places to help you achieve that um but i don't have eyes at the back of my head so i guess yeah it's, it's just kind of making sure that you know communication is key and visibility and accountability <laughs> yeah that that's maybe that comes to one thing that i wanted to ask and you kind of answered it in between but obviously there's only so much you can do in communicating your ideas and proposals to to people and and the tricky part is like a, a lot of times maybe you know you've experienced this in the past like you'll make suggestions and people will agree like like if they're meeting you they'll say no yeah sure makes sense but then when the implementation stage happens, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Right. Sometimes, yep. you know, unfortunately <laughs> people say yes, but then uh, the yes is sort of like a no, you know, like they'll say yes, but then, you know, it'll be at the bottom of their priorities or anything along those lines. Like I suppose, you know, and, and probably everyone has this, this, this dilemma if you're, if you're in a role that requires influencing others, but 
I mean, how do you make sure that things happen is, is kind of the question. Yeah, <laughs> very, very good question. I think, um, you know, at, at the start of this um, conversation, I, I think I said, you know, I'm at my best when I'm, when I'm being kept busy. So I think it takes a certain type of person to kind of deliver in this, in, in this type of role where you don't mind going up to people, asking them the right questions, keeping them accountable and being visible to everyone. And I think, you know, it does go back to what we just discussed. It's about having that trust in the rest of the team and the business that everyone else is contributing to that people strategy. And I guess this comes in, in a form of accountability, right? So accountability in the workplace essentially means that all employees are responsible for their own actions, their behaviors, their performance, decisions. And it's linked to that kind of increase in commitment to work and that employee morale, which ultimately leads to a high performance. But accountability is it's an odd one because I think a lot of people feel really uncomfortable doing it. And we also forget to do it. You know, no one, it, it takes a certain type of skill. And I guess the way I action it is to make an example out of myself and practice what you preach. I, I, I have to be kept accountable for, for other people to, I guess, take me seriously. Um, and I always say my one-to-ones with people or any meetings that I have, I always say to people, you know, please keep me accountable. I, I won't be offended if you call me up on things. If I've forgotten something, please remind me. It's, you know, challenge me. It's, it's okay to do that. I welcome that. That's, how I'm going to develop and that's good feedback for me as well and I think when you kind of position yourself like that to kind of say to people you know give it to me tell me what you need from me or tell me what I haven't delivered on it makes people feel a bit safer to actually kind of bring that conversation to you and I guess being in that kind of people role as well I need to be that pace setter of the tone the performance and culture for the business so that hopefully other people you know follow my lead if i'm always turning up late to meetings or pushing deadlines back or not owning up to my mistakes others will literally think okay well i can do the same then um and it goes back to that kind of feedback piece as well so it's setting up a reminder to give and um, solicit feedback as part of each meeting so do that in your one-to-ones in your team meetings if you've just done a presentation ask for feedback back as well um, it's basically just kind of creating opportunities to build a habit around accountability because the more we do it the more it becomes familiar the less we kind of second guess it and we just become comfortable having it as part as as part of our routine in in a workplace capacity yeah i can totally um uh sympathize with that that example of you know leading by example or not necessarily leading but being the example when it comes to being accountable and almost um delivering on 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 what you say you're going to deliver right because if you're doing it and you're delivering for other people then you know it's that principle of reciprocity right they're going to think oh, you know, Monica, I mean, she's always, you know, if she says she's going to do something, she'll do it, right? So that's sort of the type of person that I want to be around. So definitely that's one thing to to consider. I think to, to wrap up on that point, um, I think one thing that I've been learning recently is that 
you need to also, you know, to hold people accountable, you need to make sure that if you, if you suggest they do something, you need to convince them that it's the right idea mm-hmm. um, and not see it, make it look like you're giving directives, right? Like, uh, you know, if you're doing something like, hey, you know, let's change our job descriptions to make them more, um, you know, gender neutral, right? Something yeah. along those lines. Then it's easier to to actually present the arguments of like, look, you know, some words, they're, you know, more sort of masculine. And if you add certain words, then it's going to um, make it more neutral. And that way you're going to get more female applicants, which is a huge deal in in you know, engineering, right? It's better to to explain that. Oh, and gosh, to... tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, hundred hundred percent. It's and it's better to really talk to people, to talk to engineers, and and understand their grievances. Like because sometimes, as mentioned, you know, people will say, "Oh, yeah, you know, like, yeah, good idea. Why not?" But then, like, you are you just saying good idea because yeah, good idea. Who knows? Someday we'll do it. Yeah, I guess ultimately you you need to be able to demonstrate as to how it's going to benefit benefit them, benefit the team, benefit the business. Yeah. Um, the dream is when they come up with their own idea, um, and you're like, right, well, you definitely keep better keep yourself accountable then. Um, but yeah, it's um, it just kind of goes back to to that piece. It's just making sure that there is that everyone has visibility um, because then there's no kind of hopefully no room for errors and it just kind of creates a more approachable environment in saying look I'm I'm struggling to action this or I'm not sure how you know how to approach this and just kind of having a bit more of an inclusive environment where it's totally okay to, to ask those type of questions course now final question monica for more information about yourself and uh, and connecting with you where can we find you yep so i'm on linkedin um good luck trying to spell my surname when <laughs> when you search for me um but it's monica seasreg it's monica with a k i've also designed the notion page which has my personal email address as really keen just to kind of do um or oh, collaborate i guess more with um people like yourself um, to just kind of mix things up a little bit. So yeah, find me on LinkedIn or on my Notion page. Yeah, these, you know, your social links, I'll put them in the episode description. So if anyone's curious, please check the episode description and you'll find the LinkedIn and Notion pages. Uh, Monica, thank you so much for your time. It's been a true pleasure speaking with you. And uh, and yeah, hope our paths cross again since, you know, this this conversation was quite interesting. So Yeah, looking forward. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. It was great catching up with Monica. You can find her LinkedIn in the episode description. If you liked this episode, then please subscribe or follow. We're on Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. Thanks again and stay safe.